Um, welcome everyone to this seminar today, um, Ancient Now, great name, and uh, the subtitle is Creative Dialogues with Contemporary China. So um, to start with, we well, I'd like to say we respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Bun Wurrung and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and we extend a welcome to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders that may be with us today and also to any Elders past, present and emerging. Um, and a welcome to all of you and um, it's a wonderful thing to see people coming out on this winter solstice day and uh, Melbourne can turn it on with, that, with the freezing cold when we, when we want to, so um, good on you for making it. Uh, my name's Jane Sawyer. Uh, I'm a member of the World Crafts Council of Australia and on the board of um, the World Crafts Council of Australia. And we're really proud to, prevent, uh, to present this event as part of the Garland number 15 launch um, of the magazine Focusing on China. It was here nearly four years ago that many of you helped us to launch this platform and donated generously to our crowdfunding campaign. Um, thank you very much. We've tried to live up to your faith in us to re-establish a national platform for craft and particularly one that connects us to an international stage. Thanks very much, Jane, and uh, thank you very much for, for coming out. I know some of you have come not only from uh, interstate but also overseas, so that's much appreciated. And uh, thanks for the support of uh, Jane and other members of the World Craft Council Australia. And as Jane's acknowledged the traditional owners, I've just recently been in Mauritius, which is a bit like Australia, a very migrant country with many different uh, peoples living together. And uh, a kind of a rainbow nation, quite idyllic in some ways. But coming from Australia, you do sense the sort of lack of an indigenous people. And you realise how much you know, our sense of the world is, uh, owes a debt to having an ancient culture, a living ancient culture, with us, and I think this issue with the Chinese voices, and these are the some of the contributors in our issue, uh, is an example of that, and hopefully the the fruit of which we'll enjoy this afternoon. And uh, you know, Garland is very much a, a platform for sharing stories, and so it really depends on the generosity of those whose stories are being offered to share. Please come in, and so I certainly want to to thank them, as we'll be sampling during the course of this afternoon. Now there are many statistics that people offer about China and usually they're the kind of economic ones about it overcoming the United States as the economic superpower of the world and so on. But the statistic that perhaps is more telling is the one about patents that uh, China is due in five years time to be the largest producer of patents in the world. And patents are the intellectual property, They're the designs and inventions that lead to new products, which is a change from China as being a, a factory of the world, making other people's designs, to being one that is producing its own. And while we're familiar with that in an industrial sense, uh, what this issue attempts to do is to think about it culturally as well, and how it is that China today is very much looking to its cultures, particularly its ancient cultures, to revive confidence in having its own story to tell in the world. And this is something which I don't think we get to hear about much. Some of you obviously do and will be hearing 
your thoughts about that. It's one thing that the World Craft Council, I think, is, is quite good for because it does give us connections into that level of the village in China where these sorts of changes are happening, which is uh, quite important. Um, <clears throat> so the purpose of Garland, uh, as, as Jane alluded to, is to really create a conversation across the Indo-Pacific, particularly about the objects that we make. And thus far, this issue reflects perhaps it is the largest country of the Indo-Pacific, and the conversation that was offered by the Chinese, because each issue has a local group of consultants, the, this issue was about uh, the relationship to, to ancient cultures. Uh, and the first panel is one that reflects the way in which uh, Australians increasingly, we are drawn to China, particularly as a place where we can work and this relates to not just residencies, but also commissions, to teaching, uh, maybe even sometimes to, to selling work. And it seems important that a country like Australia, even though most of our culture comes from the transatlantic, you know, it's a sort of process for us through Netflix and these sorts of media, uh, that we acknowledge our place in the world, in the Eastern Hemisphere, and understand the opportunities that are aligned with, with our position in the world, particularly not just the fact that we're in the same time zone roughly, but also that we have such a strong Chinese diaspora here. So we're very fortunate this afternoon to have uh, five speakers, or five and a half I think if we incorporate a translator, uh, to share with us some quite remarkable stories I think. Um, so if I'd now like to invite the speakers for the first panel to come up and take a seat. Uh, and I'll introduce uh, each of them in turn before they speak. They've got a, an excruciatingly short time to speak. None of them are very happy at this. Uh, but the idea is that uh, giving a brief six-minute presentation will then give us some time to open up some of these issues for conversation. Uh, because there is, I, I can see around this room, incredible expertise and knowledge of China and uh, that experience to both share, but also people perhaps on the verge of uh, interest in China who might also look for advice or look for um, some information that they could uh, use. So, uh, first of all, I'd like to introduce uh, Robin Best. I see some South Australians here. You probably are familiar with Robin from the Jam Factory. That's how I first got to know her when uh, she was really uh, blazing a trail in terms of uh, technologies and ceramics, as well as her incredibly beautiful decorated vessels that were part of her exhibition practice. But since then, it's been eight years in Jinja Jen, is that right? Yep, yep, nearly nine. Nearly nine, yes. Mm -hmm. Since then, she's been working and living in Jingdezhen. So Jingdezhen is, you know, the porcelain capital, and it's what draws so many ceramicists to China. And usually, as we've seen, say, Joe Kitson, whose work is at the Shepherd and Art Prize, Ceramics Prize, 
that just opened yesterday that you know many go there to take a temporary studio, but in Robin's case, she's actually living there. So she has a very interesting perspective on that. And uh, the work, the fruit of it, uh, is represented by Adrian Sassoon Galleries and is very successful at the very hot, very high end in terms of uh, ceramic art. So uh, I think she has something very interesting to share with us. So Robin, would you like to get us started? Welcome. Yeah, thanks. Is that on? That's okay. Thank you, Kevin. I'd like to thank Kevin and Garland Magazine and the MGV for this opportunity to talk about um, my practice in Jindajan. It's interesting that um, I've been invited to the Ian Potter Centre because the Ian Potter Centre was the first exhibition centre that showed my work, Chinese work. And that was uh, part of Australian Culture Now in 2004. I think it was um, Jason Smith who uh, curated that exhibition. And the work was in conjunction with an Indigenous work with Nikana Baker. So it was two, two um, cultures and, and me in the middle. Um, um, I, first, I first went to uh, China with my daughter Polly in uh, 2002. Um, I was part of uh, Australia Week uh, in Shanghai. Um, I'm not sure if, the, um, if it happens anymore, but uh, China used to invite one country to do a week during their festival. And in 2002 it was Australia's um, opportunity to put forth its uh, culture to China and I was lucky enough to have an exhibition of my work there. Um, it, the exhibition was opened by Alexander Downer so it was, it was quite a high-end um, uh, cultural thing for me in China as well. So I've been very fortunate to be included in many things. Uh, I think maybe sometimes it's just luck or you, you're in the right place at the right time. Um, so while I had the exhibition in 2002, um, some lecturers from the JCI, which is the Jinder Jan Ceramic Institute, it's now classified as a university now, um, uh, to, they came to see the show and they brought some students. They came out on the night train and went back the next day. So in 2003, I visited Jinder Jan for the first time and it was um, the most interesting place. It was, it was, um, this was, uh, what would it have been, 16 years ago, so things have really changed in Jindajan since then. Uh, it's now a, a huge city um, and the in- infrastructure that's being put in, into it is, is phenomenal. Um, it's becoming a very clean city after years of pollution. Um, it's m- much tree planting and widening of the roads and and beautification of the, the rivers in the city. It's, it's becoming a really lovely place to be. Um, but when I first went there in 2003, I had a look around to see what was possible. And the only thing that was there for international residencies was the Sambao International Re- Residency run by Jackson Lee and his sister, Wendy. Uh, and it's still going, and it's still a lovely place in the country to to visit, but there are lots of other residencies now. So when I went back in 2010 to begin some more some new work in China, um, 
I worked at the pottery workshop for six weeks and then after that I found uh, a studio with Master Liu in the sculpture factory and then from there I, I had my own studio. So I've had my own studio for about eight years and I have a, a Chinese assistant, um, the, the Yu sisters, Snow and uh, Yu Shipping, and they've helped me make all the work for Adrian Sassoon for international collections. Um, the first two works I made in Master Liu's <coughs> studio were acquired by international collections. Um, so from, it was, I mean, I was just so lucky, you know, to be represented by Adrian Sassoon, who saw my work in a magazine in Sydney, and he invited me to be part of his um, uh, group in London. And so now all my work is shown with Adrian Sassoon at the at art fairs. Um, there's some inclusion uh, in uh, exhibitions overseas as well, but mainly it's... Um, it's mainly art fairs that I do uh, selling for him. And all the work comes is made in Jindajan. And sometimes I paint it in other countries. It depends on the relevancy of the, the story that I'm painting. So today, uh, there are many residencies that you can do in Jindajan. There's the, apart from the pottery workshop where you, you pay, you keep your own work. Um, uh, Sambao, you pay, you keep your own work. Um, there's the Tauchichuan, which is an international <coughs> residency that you apply for as an artist and you can either um, pay or you can either be their guest and, and a guest teacher or a guest artist where they will pay for you to come. Um, there's also the other workshop is run by the Jindijan Instant uh, University and that's an international um, residency as well. But they... You, you apply, um, they provide you with a studio space and a, an accommodation, but they don't pay for airfares anymore. I think they've kind of run their budget down. But also at the Jindajan Institute of University, you, you can also go as a student, you can be a student, you can be a postgrad student, you can be a summer school student. Um, they have lots of, uh, they have lots of courses going. But, um, their, their international studio for visiting artists is a really well-run place um, because the person in charge now, Ryan um, Matthew Mitchell, uh, I think that's the right... He's, he's got three uh, names that could all be um, Christian names. Ryan Matthew Mitchell is his name. Uh, he's an American artist. He's, um, he's incredible. He, he has connections to museums all over China. He shows in museums all over China. So he knows all the opportunities. So if you come to Jindajan, he can give you lots of um, tips about where you can work in the rest of China. And there are lots of residencies in China, not just in Jindajan. So um, perhaps I'll just leave it there, Kevin. That's perfect, Robin. And uh, as you would have known, we've got a reception afterwards. And I think if you want to speak to Robin directly... Uh, she's obviously got a wealth of information about that, but clearly speaks highly of Jingjijian as a place to make work and have great assistance. Next we go to Philip Fawkes, whose work I've known for a long time, but came across uh, as part of the Bluestonia project uh, a couple of years ago, which was a collaboration with a Chinese paper cut master, Zhou Bing. And uh, Philip Fawkes is 
been painter, drawer, been working in sculpture. He's had 15 solo and 72 group exhibitions, so very seasoned as an artist. And uh, with uh, Rona Green, we'll have a number of works on paper in the Amongst Us exhibition at Art Vault in Mildura. And uh, he's... His interest in paper cutting, I believe, has not gone unnoticed by the, the Chinese. So, um, Philip, tell us about your experience working in China. Thank you very much, Kevin, and um, thank you all for being here today. It's great to see such a, an engaged audience uh, to come out and talk and uh, listen to what we have to say. Um, just in this little bit of limited time, I've um, made a few notes myself, and I'm going to cycle through quickly just describing some of the things that I've been engaged with which relate directly to the chocolate to China, a little bit about my own practice, and a little bit about uh, my impressions of working with um, various Chinese and uh, Australian collaborations, and also um, about just some of the uh, my impressions of being there and of the kind of cultural engagement that's um, taking place there at the moment, in, and specifically in uh, the way that it uh, impacts on us in Australia. So as uh, Ken has just said, I've been um, practicing artists for 40 years and I've worked in a number of different areas, uh, but primarily I think my, my practice is um, very much focused on um, working with paper, on paper, but it, it fell into, a, into a, um, a time where I actually started working with paper by cutting it and incising, which probably relates back to sculpture. And I'll talk a little bit about that more in a little while. But I um, had an exhibition of paper cuts in uh, 2014. This was noticed um, primarily by uh, Jill Morgan, who was then the CEO of Multicultural um, Arts Victoria. And at the same time, she was approached by um, a, a man called Marcus uh, Wong, who was interested in um, getting an exhibition space for a couple of um, paper cut artists, Zhou uh, Yanyu and Zhou Ping. Zhou Ping is Zhou Yanyu's son. Zhou Yanyu at that time was about 80 years old, and it had um, they both built up an extensive practice of paper cut. Zhou uh, Yanyu himself had been working as an artist right through the history of modern China from the 1940s. It was a very interesting. Um, series of experiences that he alluded to when I did meet him in um, very, not in any great detail because of the translation. An issue, an ongoing issue for people like myself who regrettably, very regrettably actually, do not speak any Mandarin and probably will not be able to learn any subsequent, anything substantial in that field and that's something um, that is obviously a very pressing issue in terms of cultural engagement and certainly I would urge people to consider that kind of approach, learning a language that, that, that fits in, particularly China, but other areas. Um, and as a practicing artist, I've travelled extensively in Asia um, and become more and more interested in Asia, which is partly why I fell into working with paper cutting. And um, the my work was included as a collaborative. Um, Jill decided that um, that she would uh, work with them. Um, the, these two Chinese artists and also the um, number of other artists, they had quite a large uh, group that they'd established which were working collaboratively in China as the paper cutting in a very successful business. And, um, uh, and my work was included alongside their work in, um, under the heading of paper culture in Mapping Melbourne in 2014, the second Mapping Melbourne, which is um, 
official um, uh, uh, Asian Arts um, uh, Biennale uh, happens every year as part of um, Multicultural Arts Victoria. And then uh, through this uh, process, um, there was a forum at RMIT, then they took my work and a number of um, people as well, other people as well, and showed my work in um, uh, Changzhou in, uh, in China. Yeah, I, I was given a 10-year survey there, the first time this has ever happened to me. My work's on paper and a large group of paper cuts that I've been making over the last three years, and it was shown alongside their, their work as well. Uh, there was um, um, a lot of travelling involved. We went to Nanjing and um, looked at a lot of things. There was a lot of, social, a lot of cultural engagement. I met a great many people. And then a further extension of that happened again in the Blue Sunia paper that Kevin was alluding to, which was a collaboration again in Melbourne in where we showed works, paste-ups, paper cuts which were converted to paste-ups in Swanson Street and in Laneways in Brunswick. And there was an extensive media campaign as part of that. And there was a lot of coverage in national and international media shown uh, on uh, mainland China, right across China, and just within Australia, the estimated audience that actually engaged with the things that were happening was what we were told by the media company was one million people. So the, the, the whole process of going on um, through that was quite an overwhelming and ongoing. There was plans for further collaborations down the track. And just this last December, I was involved in, in partly through that, a further collaboration with Chinese artists in Weihai, in Shandong province, um, in, in a en plein air painting um, and exhibition with uh, artist Helen Yu and Australian artist Carrie Willis. Uh, and, um, uh, uh, and, uh, and Chinese artist, um, um, whose name is Kevin Smith, which is morning. Um, uh, just trying to remember all this. And uh, that was an exhibition in the Eagle Art Gallery, which had just been established in Weihai in China. And that, that again, was another long process of um, uh, engagement with, uh, cultural engagement with, with many tiers of Chinese society, poets, artists. We gave lectures in um, uh, <coughs> Chongqi. Chongqi. <coughs> Chongqing University uh, Art School uh, uh, it, it, it lectures about the history of Australian art and lecture about the history uh, about the actual arts education system in Australia uh, they're very interested in, in particularly in um, elaborating on, on how we are able to engage in a more contemporary way with the work they've been making in the traditional format so there was a whole ongoing conversation. This is another conversation that has been going on, on a lot with China, with Chinese um, people I've been speaking to, often through translation, but there's also uh, uh, in um, informal conversations, also informal conversations. Um, and uh, probably an anathema to what a lot of people would believe is going on in China when um, asking average Australians. I will um, probably skip the middle section because I'm sure six minutes is winding down very fast. 
And um, I'll just talk a little bit, I think, now um, just about the experience of working in China meeting. One of the things, uh, one of the processes that is absolutely an ongoing process is, I think, um, one of cultural engagement. And there's a, when um, I was based, I was born in Europe. I came to Australia from England when, when I was 17. I have a European sensibility. Um, and I have a very wide-ranging interest in art. Part of, part of my interest in art is, um, uh, is in the decorative arts, and um, there's a long uh, an in history of engagement between Asia and Europe, uh, and those um, two forms have moved backwards and forwards uh, over literally thousands of years. I did not know when I first started making paper cuts, I fell into paper cutting as a way of responding um, as an artist, which is the way I've always worked, I respond experientially. I make work around personal experience and try and find ways of exploring that and explaining it back to the audience. Uh, and this, the way I was working using paper was noticed by Chinese artists because there's a deep tradition of, Chinese, of paper cutting going back to the third century. The third century, yes, that's right. Paper itself was, goes back to at least the first century and migrated to Europe via Muslim cultures uh, around about the same time as the printing press invented. And the, that original information technology revolution would not have been possible without that, that particular thing. The engagement of, of, of Chinese culture, which goes back 5,000 years, as most of you know, I'm sure, um, is imperative to the way Chinese think about what the things they make. Uh, even in the contemporary sphere, I think Western culture does not um, really understand that the contemporary art that Chinese making is actually deeply engaged with their past. It's not really looking at our, the way we make uh, engaged with our contemporary art through the various forms we use to make work, but it's actually engaged, in, uh, that's part of what they're interested in, but it's also very much engaged in having a conversation with their past and with, with what's going on in China at the moment. And that's become more and more apparent to me. The, um, and their interest in the way I was using and cutting paper was because it was different from what their traditions of paper cutting, and they wanted to have a conversation with me about that, and to try and explore uh, how they could uh, perhaps adapt, possibly the ways I was I was using paper, but also how I could absorb the way paper had been used traditionally, and maybe bring that into my work. And I think that's happening in the way artists are. They they sponge things up and um, start to think about things, and it's the experience of, of showing and working in China, but also in other Asian countries has changed the way I think about art itself, about the way we put art into a hierarchy in the West. The way that art is organised in the in Asian countries is different. The way drawing and painting is looked at is, is, is much taken in a much more serious way, has a much longer history. Um, and the way there's, and there's, so there's a whole, and the way that the aesthetics of those um, what was thinking about things, ceramics as well, decorative arts is different and 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 um, explained and absorbed and intellectualised in a different way. Lastly, I I just quickly like to say, um, as I alluded to, being in Europe, growing up in Europe, and having an engagement with Europe as literally as part of me, I think this is something that's lacking in Australia. It is. In, in, incredibly important that we understand 
and Kevin's already alluded to this in his opening remarks, are positioned geographically. Um, uh, and that we are part of Asia. This is the region we're working in. And to actually try and turn our eyes more and more on experiences and our understanding. And to share what we have as well, obviously, culturally, and to build those cultural exchanges as going forward into, into what is going to be a very interesting and productive future for us all. And um, I could go on probably at length, but I won't because somebody else needs to speak. Thank you very much. to see a film, I believe, about Philip's process of paper cutting soon on the Garland platform. And there's also a wonderful article I'd recommend by Pamela C. about the impact of CNC, the technologies in paper cutting, which is quite challenging as well. So, so far we've heard from two speakers who've reflected on techniques that are very strong in China, uh, in terms of what we know of, at least, in terms of ceramics and paper cutting. Now we've got a couple of speakers who reflect on an area of practice that's less well known in terms of our understanding of China, which is art jewellery. So firstly we have uh, Iwei Wu, uh, who's come to us especially for this event from Shanghai. And related to Jing Dijian, though, we had a wonderful conversation uh, last year and I learned that uh, Iwei Wu had uh, worked in Jing Dijian, was uh, interested in a variety of different art forms and so has a lot of experience that's very relevant broadly but in as well as working in Tibet too. Uh, but in this case she has a particularly Australian connection when she was living in Adelaide and I do acknowledge uh, Roe Connell who through uh, Craft South and became Guildhouse managed to work with Iwei in partnership to develop an extraordinary exchange between Australia and China in Shanghai through the Iwei Foundation and San W Gallery. Uh, and I think what Iwei presents us is somebody working in China, a Chinese person who is very entrepreneurial in the sense of uh, working for in her own values and her own framework uh, for the creative development within China itself and looking to Australia for something particular. So we'll learn why she looks to artists here and what they have to offer. So, Iwe, please, uh, over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. In 2015, I built the EV Art Foundation and the San W. Gallery Studio. The first reason is we would like I'm uh, interested in Australia's uh, artists. I saw some wonderful works. Also in China, we have a really good uh, traditional uh, craft. So I was thinking if we can do some uh, exchange program. So we started doing uh, artist residency program from 2015. Uh, when junior artist we will open uh, lectures, and, uh, workshop, and exhibitions. Um, we also um, we also bring artists' work to attend the uh, designer fair and uh, uh, try to connection other um, other like uh, 
architecture and uh, shopping malls. She is doing some collaborations. Mm. Our long-term goal is a private platform for artists, craftsmen, and the designers. We hope uh, Standard View can private uh, communications, learning, and uh, development opportunities. Um, w is in Shanghai, Zhongjiang University City at the moment. Uh, there is a metal jewelry studio, um, glass flaming work studio, and exhibition space. Mm -hmm. China has many opportunities presently. Sometimes I feel anything is possible in China. <laughs> so, um, yeah, for foreign artists, there are now many ex exhibition opportunities, business collaboration opportunities, and we also have the, um, government support art project. Uh, about uh, exhibition opportunities, I doing a research. Uh, in Shanghai only, we now we have eighty-two art museum, um, and sixty-four art museum is a private museum. Um, most of them established after two thousand four. Uh, uh, those art museum need to hosting attractive ex exhibitions. They are looking for. Uh, forward collaboration with the foreign artists. Um, also, there are many uh, opportunities for business collaborations. Uh, I found uh, uh, like branding, for overseas branding, like uh, uh, collaboration with the local artists, like the Hamas branding, uh, they like uh, um, find uh, local artists for window design and uh, some ob objects. Mm, but uh, uh, domestic branding like uh, uh, collaboration with the foreign artists, uh, um, but they they want, uh, but you know the business branding they want now, so they want some artist always always uh, famous in China. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, ex uh, I have the example. Mm, do you know the artist? Uh, uh, course. Course. He is a street artist uh, from, I think from, uh, yeah, from America. And uh, sh he is the first uh, exhibition is in 2007, only two years ago. Uh, that time he collaboration with uh, uh, shoes branding. It's called Jordan. Uh, yeah, he have an exhibition in uh, UZ Art Museum. At the same time, uh, they have like an opening for collaboration with uh, 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 collaboration design with this shoes branding. So uh, this is very famous. Even they have a visitors have a queue in the street. So. Uh, lots of the uh, media report the exhibitions. So suddenly, this become very famous in China. Uh, he get a lot of opportunity for collaborations. Uh, he have a 
I think he has uh, outside uh, an outdoor uh, sculpture in uh, Changsha City at the moment. And he also collaborated with uh, a Unico T for T-shirt. That's very popular. I heard, uh, I think uh, one week he sell, uh, this store sell like, uh, 500,000 T-shirts mm -hmm. in one week. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, yes. Um, it just is. Uh, example, it's I think because China has bigger populations, so something that happens very faster and uh, yeah. Uh, also, uh, I remember beginning in 2015, the government also pulled some uh, important university to invite the foreign artists to uh, cooperation in uh, teaching and also uh, conference, doing conference, also have group exhibitions. Um, they, yeah, so they open, they have some budget, they support uh, university to, uh, to do exchange, uh, exchange artist program. That's a lot of opportunities. Also, it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot of challenge for artists uh, for this so fast changes. Uh, so it's uh, if it, uh, it's uh, for the catch the opportunities. I think uh, you can think of uh, it is a creative process for you and your art practice. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Interesting, I learned something that I didn't know before about that. I hadn't seen that branding was something that uh, was part of the, the art scene in Shanghai. Uh, and so that's uh, very interesting new information for us to have here. So thank you very much for that. And we have an opportunity now to hear from Vicky Mason, who is one of the artists fortunate enough to take up a residency as part of uh, Iwe's uh, San W Gallery. And uh, Vicky, of course, is uh, World Craft Council Australia treasurer and an artist familiar to, to many of you as a, as a jeweller, somebody whose works are being worn by many people around the room at the moment, who's sort of emblematic of our Australian connection to, to nature. And um, she's also got an upcoming exhibition at uh, Craft Victoria and Membership Showcase Gallery uh, at the end of August, which will be leading into Radiant Pavilion. Probably. So please welcome Vicky. Hello, everybody. Thank you for coming along. Thank you so much. Um, it's great to hear from you. And I just can't thank um, Yue enough for giving me the opportunity to do a residency with the Foundation and Sandw at um, Shanghai Institute of Visual Arts, is where Yue is situated, the studio and workshop. Um, and um, it was really fantastic working with Liwe and her team. So I'm going to direct my questions towards the, uh, my presentation rather, towards the questions that Kevin posed. Um, starting with the first one, what are the challenges in connecting with audiences in mainland China? So for me, probably the biggest challenge was communicating and navigating the language differences 
but then realising um, that basically these differences weren't insurmountable. Um, most people I came into contact professionally spoke English to varying degrees, which I found completely humbling. So a bit like, um, yeah, was, yeah, I had 12 words, and everybody I came across professionally spoke English. So it was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, I know that during the first minute, uh, 40 minute talk rather, my, the first talk I gave during the residency, um, that many of the Chinese audience phased out after about 10 minutes of serious concentration, despite having good English, um, because even they tired of having to translate the simplified English content. Um, but some of the audience were native English speakers, um, or Chinese who studied overseas and who had a good command of English, and were able to understand the more complicated concepts discussed. So for me it was pitching certainly with the talks, to a range of English-speaking abilities that made connecting challenging. Um, the second talk I gave was a shortened version of the first talk, and Yiwei translated that, and we found that that was a lot more successful um, and resulted in a better outcome. So on to the next question. What were the opportunities that made all the prep and planning I did worthwhile? Um, so basically giving the two talks was a great way to bring my work to a new audience. And the residency also gave me exhibiting opportunities. I took an iteration of a solo show from 2017, The Trees Have Names, which was shown in the gallery space at the University at the Institute. Um, as you always said, there's a metal workshop and various other workshops. There's also a lecture theatre and a really nice gallery space I showed there. And I also showed the exhibition in the Bond Financial Centre building in downtown Shanghai. So that brought the public into contact with my work, which was really great. Um, I was also able to access new markets to sell exhibition work and also showcase production work. And it was really exciting having a small collection of my more precious work bought by the gallery to sell. Yiwei had a postcard printed to promote the exhibition and the San W photographer took photos of my work worn and these images were used for marketing promoting my work on social media within China and I was given copies of those photos so it's always great for artists to have, certainly for jewellers to have images of your work being worn and we don't always do it, well I don't always, so to have these wonderful photos is, I felt very fortunate. Um, an unexpected result with exhibiting at SIVA with the San W Gallery um, was having Yiwei facilitate the collection of five works for the SIVA art collection. Other opportunities working in China afforded me were the chance to build and develop my professional practice and skills in teaching through writing, planning and delivering a skills-based workshop. I also spent time mentoring Gussie Vandermeer, who works for Yiwei, um, so we discussed the various ways, she's a uh, recent graduate of a South African university, a, a contemporary journal. We talked about different forms professional practice can take, and we talked about her own work, and I learned a lot about weaving metal, which is the process that Gussie explores in her work. Um, I was able to engage in other artistic exchanges and build networks through connecting with students, established makers, and educators within the broader Shanghai jewellery community. And I learned much about the contemporary scene in the city. Um, there are various institutions working in the contemporary jewellery field in Shanghai, the Academy of International Visual Arts, or AVA, who are connected to Birmingham University in the UK. 
Um, I had a chat to their course director, Violet, and that was really um, enlightening. Um, I also spent time with Lisa, and obviously this is her English name. I'm sorry, I can't tell you her Chinese name, but she was a, a lecturer at SIVA, the Shanghai Institute of Visual Arts, where Sam W have their, their spaces. And she showed me around um, the workshops at the Institute. She also took me to a big Chinese craft exhibition um, that featured her work, so it was great to see her work. And I visited a small home-based jewellery gallery and workshop run by a local maker um, who had also studied at the Birmingham School of Art in the UK. Um, Lisa also taught me to meet Shannon Guo, who's head of metals, and her staff and students at Shanghai University. And they, again, showed me around the various departments. It was great seeing the lacquer department, um, the glass and ceramic studios, and they hosted me for an afternoon. Working in China enabled me to develop my own artistic practice as well. I did research at Shanghai Museum, looking at the ethnic minority collection, studying the construction methodologies of the artefacts where metal and textiles feature together. An ongoing area of research in my jewellery practice relates to my interest in urban trees and gardens. And I was also looking at street trees and reading about uh, Chinese relationships with trees historically and within the contemporary context of the megacity. I was also inspired by the various forms of gardens I visited and have ideas brought for a new body of work. So that's really nice just to have time out to have the space, you know, not to have to worry about money or the routines of looking after a teenage child, etc., etc. Um, you know, a residency like this really is quite wonderful for, for that. Um, I did a really nice little collaborative project with Yiwei doing designs for her for a range of rugs and stalls that um, could possibly feature in the Sand W stand at Design Shanghai. And it was really great because it enabled me to work 2D um, on the 2D plane, which I don't do very often. The residency was also an opportunity for cultural exchange and deepening my understanding and experience of Chinese life. Um, I've been to China in 2014 to exhibit with the World Crafts Council Australia, and it was just fascinating to kind of go back and be able to see daily life um, and, you know, enhance my education more broadly. And finally, on to finish the last question, how can we maintain contact with the Chinese scene from Australia? So interconnectivity inter through online global social media platforms like WeChat um, that's popular in China is enabling me to see what everyone is up to. Um, and some of my contacts have managed to bridge the firewall and are on Facebook. So um, that's great. International platforms certainly for jewellery like Art Jewellery Forum and Clipped 2 are conduits to the Chinese contemporary jewellery scene more generally. And email is great for direct contact. And I would jump at the prospect of working in China again. Um, it was just incredible, and I'm committed to maintaining the relationships I built. And I highly recommend if you ever get the opportunity to jump. Thank you. Thank you very much, Vicky. And you can read more about uh, Vicky's experience, particularly battling the humidity. <laughs> in metal, which is a serious issue in, in Shanghai. Uh, uh, but certainly she's testified to, to the benefits of this residency and there are many other artists, Australian artists like Vicky, who've also been to this residency and uh, enjoying it. And I also hear that one of the valuable 
elements in what Vicky offered um, was also particular skills. We don't often think in Australia that we've got, we see of ourselves very creative and innovative and so on, but uh, because of our craft traditions being relatively recent, we don't necessarily appreciate the very fine skills, certainly that have been built up through our universities in recent years, and certainly I think Vicky's skill was appreciated very much in her residency there. Now we go to uh, Wilson, uh, Chin Wai Yung, uh, who I found at an art history conference last year in a collective, a very dynamic collective of young Chinese people who were exploring uh, collaborative curatorial strategies. And so I was very pleased then to have a number of conversation, conversations uh, with Chun Wai Yung and thought that he would add something different to our conversation. He's a creative producer at the Chinese Museum of Chinese Australian History in Melbourne. He's a member of the CAST uh, Research Group at RMIT. And uh, he's completed a Master of Art Curating at the University of Sydney. And uh, he's also been advising with the Shanghai Biennale. So another Shanghai, strong Shanghai connection there. So um, over to you. Uh, welcome. Hear about these new curatorial strategies. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. First of all, thank you, Kelvin, to invite me to come join on the board. And uh, I'm very happy today. Um, I can learn a lot from my uh, different speakers to talk about the um, um, opportunity how to work in between Australia and China. And actually, uh, today I bring some pops uh, to come here. So would you mind? I just go there to take some books to show everybody for my journey. Yes. <laughs> So um, basically, uh, myself, actually, I'm an artist. And then um, originally, I come from Hong Kong. And then I start my study um, back to, uh, I think, um, 2015, around. And then actually, Hong Kong uh, Art Center have a one um, school. It's called Hong Kong Art School. They well connected to the RMIT University in Melbourne. So they, the rivalry is like a long distance course between uh, two cities. So basically, I'm coming from that courses. First year, I did my uh, bachelor degree uh, in photography at Hong Kong Art School, and then after that, I connected to the MIT Melbourne, and then I continued my study in uh, the Bachelor of the Fine Arts in Photography and Filmmaking in Australia, and then after that, I finished my bachelor degree, and then I went to the Sydney to start my uh, art curating study at Sydney University Art History Department. So uh, why I changed my role? Actually, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an artist, and then I did a lot of uh, creative work uh, during my young uh, teenager. And then I start from my practice uh, from performance art from theater in Hong Kong. So I work with a uh, lot of uh, theater companies, like a contemporary dance company, Hong Kong drama show. And after that, I decided to uh, think about to study art. Why? Because I feel art is really connected to the people. I think a lot of the speakers today is talking about the relationship between Australian and Chinese people. I think this is a really good example uh, in, my, in my role and in my identities. Actually, I come from Hong Kong, and then, uh, to be honest, I was born in 1985, and then at that moment, I under the British um, education system. So that's why a lot of people will mention in my generation, I'm called Hong Kongese, I'm not Chinese. But, uh, but after I moved to Australia around uh, seven years ago, and I got a chance to look back China from the Australian uh, location perspective. 
So a first exhibition I went to China is after I came to Australia and back to China in Pengyu International Photo Festival yeah, and in uh, 2014. And that exhibition I create um, um, kind of a self-curating. I create my artwork and then I do a lot of uh, big projects with myself, uh, selfie. So I took a pinhole camera with me every day and I took 30 days of my self-project with the pinhole camera and I, I largely it's really big, it's like a human size and I, I exhibit in a Pingyu uh, International Photo Festival. That location is uh, like a, it's like a it's really old town and an old village and they have a Wall Street, it's a really traditional location. Maybe some people will know about that, maybe I, actually I prepared a PowerPoint for today. If the people are interested in, uh, I mentioned some festival, you can come down, talk to me later and I can show you some <coughs> photos. And after that, I started um, my study in art curating, and I'm thinking about my identity also, and then what is my role in the art industry. So I started to think about, um, if I'm just an artist, um, what can I do? And then I, I, I have lots of art, um, art classmates, um, domestic students and international students, actually they don't have a lot of opportunities to do exhibition and um, to uh, show their exhibit overseas. So that's why um, after I finished my BFA, Bachelor of Fine Art degree at uh, RMIT, I started to think about what can I do, what can I help my classmate. And then I went to Sydney and then to try to start my art curatorship programs in there. And then I did my master in there. At that time, and I'm trying to uh, do a lot of uh, cost instantary uh, projects with uh, different uh, overseas students and also uh, with uh, some uh, young artists. So after that, I returned back to um, RMIT around uh, two years ago, and then when I started my PhD at RMIT, uh, doing my curatorial practice study. So why I'm interested in curatorial, because actually it's uh, related with my multicultural identities. So actually it's uh, because um, my mom and dad actually is born in Cambodia, and then after that, my mom and dad migrated to Hong Kong and Macau, and then so I'm born in Hong Kong, but I got a different identities in my back, you know. And then now I'll be relocated in Australia. I spent seven years in Australia. And then sometimes when I come back to Hong Kong, and then my family say, oh, you look like Australian now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're not really like Hong Kong people now. Uh, you know the Hong Kong situation, yes. <laughs> and then, okay, I will think about it. And then um, I think a lot of people know about that a few, few weeks ago, and then we have a big travel, um, Hong Kong people. And actually when I look at the news, as an overseas student study here, I really helped uh, that movement. But unfortunately, I think a lot of the problem we created is because miscommunication and misunderstand. So that's why I think art is a really good um, tool for people to understand each other. So that's why last year I started to do my some creative project with uh, art curating. So first of all, I invite uh, one of uh, our uh, Henri um, Professor Jack Hop, Dr. Jack Hop in here, and I invite him to went to the um, China to go to Shenzhen to participate. You know, one is called uh, Shenzhen um, Architecture Biennale in there. It's like an urbanism architecture biennale between Hong Kong and Shenzhen, and then we take part in Shenzhen. And actually, I invite uh, Dr. Jack Hop to provide a lot of uh, exercise and workshops with the student. So one of the ideas I really agree with one speaker say is like, a, I think education is a really good tool for our communication. Even myself, I study in Hong Kong and after that I come to Australia study. And then now I'm trying to use Australian education where I learn from and then to reach back to the Hong Kong or China. 
So that's why I think is uh, education is uh, one part I think is really good. And I work with you, uh, Jeff is a kind of a, like a collaborative relationships. We delivery some exercise with the Shenzhen University student. Basically, they are not just a student. They come from architecture background, design background, or media communication. So they can hear, they say, what they say to us is like, say, oh, we actually, we don't have a lot of opportunities that overseas artists to come here to work with us. So we did two weeks residency in that program. And then after that, I come back to here. I think about, okay, what can I do next? So then, and then I'm a pilot to one um, a project. Is it called Shanghai Creative Lab Project? Actually, I have a book in here. And then this one is uh, the uh, collective project related with uh, 20 um, international young curators. So I work with uh, this project around one month. I stayed in Shanghai as a residency in there. And then in Shanghai, uh, University of the Fine Arts. And actually, I work with uh, 21 uh, young curator with uh, 20 um, kind of uh, mature artists and curators. And then we work with uh, one with a collective approach to do a discussion and one table and exhibition visit. So we visit, um, I mean, I can show you this book, and then you can see a lot of the details in there. And then they have a lot of um, um, famous curators. They came from Europe and American, and also some is from um, uh, Asia and Australia. And then they went there. And after that, um, then uh, we went to the one is uh, called um, Shanghai Biennale. Have any, do anybody know about Shanghai Biennale? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of people know about Sydney Biennale in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I went to Sydney Biennale. Um, first time I went to Biennale is went to Sydney Biennale in 2008. <laughs> And after I decided to study in Australia because I feel Australia have a really good contemporary arts practice and learning. But um, now in um, Shanghai Biennale, actually they use this one is the twelve times. So they already start twelve times. So I think they is younger than um, Sydney Biennale a little bit, but they're not really young actually. But um, I just to say actually now in uh, Hong and in China they have a lot of uh, Biennale and projects happen on. So I'm just mention one um, example is like uh, the architecture Biennale with uh, Dr. Jeff, and then we went there is in Shanghai, and actually the other one is in Shanghai. But I think one is a really interesting thing I would like to uh, respect to your conversation is like uh, the language problem. Actually, when I went to Shanghai Biennale, and then basically uh, the, the, that museum at, um, they call is the, the uh, power station of art museum. It's uh, one of the government-run museum because I think that is official government-run contemporary art museum in China. And then that museum have a one special approach. I feel is that they don't have English captions in there. They always using the Chinese captions in there. A lot of uh, foreigners, students, and, and my peers is young creator. The question why. But sometimes they will think about it's like a copyright or a democracy or maybe some sensitive problems. But after we ask the creators directly, actually the creators say, because sometimes they are not exactly have the policy about the museum, but the people will think about they have some censorship and themselves. And then they don't want to do something sensitive things to touch the, to let the government have a trouble. So that's why I just mentioned is like a, the language program is really interesting. But I went still there even on myself. When I studied Austria before, I haven't speak a lot of Mandarin. Basically, I speak Cantonese. 
So, but uh, now, because I came to Australia, I met a lot of Chinese students, and then I did build up my Mandarin language <laughs> standard. So now I'm taught a lot of the Mandarin language. But I just feel, I would like to say is one thing is about language program. I would suggest um, some people, if you want to, maybe you're interested in China, I would encourage you maybe to do maybe some um, Chinese language study. This is maybe the basic study about the basic language. And then because that is for my opinions, why? Because actually I went to Expo two years ago. Uh, when the Shanghai Expo at that time, they have a lot of uh, English signage. But after the 10 years, the signage disappeared. And also, I'm really curious why, why as an international city, they have this situation. So that's why I suggest that if the people you want to go there and then to learn about the, our culture, not, I'm not saying just China, maybe in Asia, in different organizations, in different countries. I got one professor from Sydney Union, and he studied Asian arts, and he knows six languages in Asian countries. Why? Because he would like to learn directly the resources from the communities. So uh, I will show maybe this book to pass to somebody, maybe you can have a look. But then after that, um, I'm also um, I'm interested in this really like this project. So after the Pretoria Lab project, I come back here and I'm back to Australia. And I am um, pilot of one um, position in the Chinese Museum in the Chinatown in Melbourne. So now I'm working on a one project, it's called Collective um, Art Residency Project at the Chinese Museum second floor. Actually it's not really big room, maybe it's like this big room. And then we now is uh, trying to provide a residency program for young Australian artists and Chinese artists to work together. So two days ago we did an opening in there with the young teenagers. And then we got around good number, we got 70 people to come to the uh, Chinese Museum. And that is, uh, for some senior staff, they say this is uh, impossible because 70 young teenager students to come to the Chinese Historical Museum. <laughs> so this is, I think, is a good established idea is, uh, like, uh, to think about uh, maybe you can engage some local museum that related with the Chinese or with Asian culture. For example, it's, uh, like my, our museum, Chinese Museum, and the other museum is really good, it's an uh, immigration museum. So that is, I think, is, uh, like, I would like to say is, like, uh, I think, uh, I'm really lucky to study art in here, and I would like to help a lot of people to get opportunity to learn more art. And also, I encourage all the audience or maybe young people, you can step one step back front, and then to try to ask people for help. Maybe a lot of museum and artists from Gary, I, as I know, they need help and volunteers. So that's why I think this is a good opportunity if the young uh, student or people they want to know more about Australian arts, even back to Australian people, young people want to know Chinese arts, you can do exchange and start from your volunteer job. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you for Yung. We get a sense locally of the same kind of entrepreneurship that we've uh, heard about elsewhere in China, but somebody based here, partly thanks to institutions like RMIT that, that have that capital to bring people of Chinese background here. But Chun uh, Yunga, I think, is somebody at the cusp of uh, a very significant career in building those bridges and beginning with the spaces at the Chinese Museum of Australian History, which will be so Museum of Australian Chinese History that uh, we'll be seeing in future years. So we look forward to that very much. Now, I'm sure why the speakers have been uh, giving us a brief glimpse, very tough, a brief cross-section of their experience, that uh, you've had some 
some questions and some thoughts. Maybe you'd like to ask a, a question of uh, one of the speakers, all of the speakers, or you have something also of your own experience to add to this. Um, can I open the discussion now to you for your comments? Is there anyone who would like to, to start it off? Janet. I'll just give the microphone. Um, can Change you my voice without the microphone? We are recording this. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 oh dear. <laughs> 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 um, I have a question for um, Robin. Um, what I'm interested in is uh, being familiar with the kind of work that you've produced and the length of time you have worked in Jing Dojin. Um, could you have produced the work here, or is it necessary to be there to do it, and if so, why? Ah, that's a very interesting question. Yes, I could make it here. Um, the problem, one of the problems with the work that I'm, I make is that there are two parts to it. Um, there's a, there's a, a technical drawing part that needs a model made of each of those sizes. And then each of those sizes has to be sent to a, um, a mould maker and then the casting person. And then it comes back to me for polishing. Um, it's got to be polished because these are not glazed. Um, and then I start the painting. Um, one of the things that I wanted to do and when I went to Jindajan was to get rid of that first section is just to do the drawings, the technical drawings, and have the artisans in Jindajan to to create, the, well, to make the the model, the moulds, do the casting, do all that stuff, that dirty stuff, and and <laughs> and leave me to just um, paint, uh, which is what I like to do. But I can do all of those things because as Kevin mentioned that I used to do all this technical work at the jam factory I set up there, um, CAD CAN's studio, that we um, then invited the Ernabella people that you have worked with at, in Jindajan, which was a wonderful thing. I, I thought the work that you produced with those people was phenomenal. Uh, Ernabella, yeah, I think some of it was acquired by the National Gallery. Was am I have I got that wrong? No. Um, not. No. Sorry, no, not not the National Gallery, but some was acquired in um, Shanghai and some was acquired in Sydney. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they look terrific, these enormous um, porcelain uh, structures decorated by the Onabella um, uh, Ceramic Studio, which was begun in about 89, I think we... Yeah, no, no, not at 1998, I think, 97, we started that, I can't remember, so long ago. Um, but that was, yeah, that's been a really interesting thing too, Janet. That the things happen one after the other when somebody does something, something else happens. Yes. But yes, um, and, and what I do is often take my work to another country to paint it um, because I like to be in France a lot, mm -hmm. um, because a lot of my work concerns the French because mm -hmm. they were everywhere that the English were. Mm -hmm. A lot of my work is about the East India Company. Um, I'm really interested in um, scholars that came from the east, uh, from the west to the east, um, especially from Africa and um, 
the Middle East. I, I'm really interested in um, the, the culture of Central Asia and why people travelled. A lot of people did travel from Europe um, to China. Um, the Jesuit priests, Marco Polo, even Batuta, who was probably one of the first and interesting. So yeah, I like to go other places to paint, but um, it's really difficult if you have to make work as well. Because a, a painting um, like the East India Company will take me three to four months of solid um, work. Um, my, my daughter Polly knows <laughs> how long it takes um, so it's really um, important to be in a place where you are constantly reminded of your subject you listen to books um, audio books about the subject that you're painting it keeps you with the subject because it's quite difficult to spend eight hours a day painting painting, painting and uh, you've got to get some exercise as well so to be able to make the work as well, it's really difficult in the timeline to do that. So, so you could say it's more, at the moment, the facilitation of the making yes. of the work. Yes. Can I then add a rider to that? Yeah. Um, you've had a long association with Master Yu. Yeah. Um, how important are developing relationships? There's been a number of um, references made by other panel members to the importance of developing relationships and bilateral Relationships that go both ways. Could you talk a little bit about that kind of relationship, which grows from a kind of, um, you know, a master and a, um, a visitor to, through to a um, more perhaps egalitarian relationship? Well, I think I, I think what happens is that you you do it. Well, someone did it before me. Um, an, an Australian uh, artist, a ceramic artist, did it before me. And because she was there, I could go there. I was looking for somewhere to work after I'd finished at the pottery workshop uh, as a stepping stone to get my own studio. It was in the sculpture factory, but I got a studio outside the sculpture factory. Um, it allows other artists like you, like yourself maybe, or Gus um, Clutterbuck, who came in and did some work and... Um, somebody asked me the same question that you asked um, is it worth funding this artist and I said yes because it's worth funding artists that come into this place because it helps the next person and it helps the next person who might be a step up the ladder so it becomes more more important for for other people to come in but as far as uh, the other way I mean it's a kind of it's interesting, Jindajan, because it's a very traditional place. Um, um, I find that it's kind of the creativity is not quite there. Um, there's a lot of um, borrowed Western kind of interest, but it, um, a lot of the artists who do do interesting work in China don't do, don't live in Jindajan. They are in Beijing or Shanghai. Um, uh, definitely, they they don't, but they come, they come all the time, and it's good to see that they come, but they don't stay there. Yeah. Thank you. There's one up. Mine's a general question, just and it's two two sided question. One is the uh, the impact of. The Chinese experience on those 
sort of indigenous Australian artists. And also the, the sort of complementary version is is what what is the uh, Australian experience on the Asian students? How do they quantify that sort of side of the question? So would anyone like to, to have a go at uh, where the kind of creative, where they see the creative dialogue occurring between Australia and China? I think you should ask Janet that. <laughs> she was the last person to work with the Indigenous artists in Jinjajan, I think. How, how did it work, Janet? <laughs> Janet, you've become an honorary <laughs> panel member. <laughs> Firstly, I should say that my, my role is just a facilitator of working with them. So um, they produce the work. Um, I learnt a lot by working and watching with them. Um, they were daunted at first. We, we actually worked in the big pot factory um, that first time and um, it was... Uh, quite daunting to come in and to find a room filled with over two metre high pots because it was quite outside the scale that they'd been used to working with. And um, so we started off with some smaller pieces as kind of like five finger exercises to warm up. But basically um, they they were working in the same way they do in their in the studio um, out at um, Pukaja at, at Onabella. And um, they they just went to work on the pots. And the Chinese, um, the workers and the artisans in the factory were astounded that they would just directly approach and start working on the pots without planning it out and sketching it and um, drawing in the rough shapes and forms, that it was a very direct relationship with a thing in front of them which needed to be covered with stories. And as you would know, it's all about telling the stories. Mm. Um, and so they were telling their stories um, and they use a lot of familiar forms with it. Mm. And it just became very, very like the studio in, um, in Ernabella, but uh, the food was great. <laughs> the food was better. They really liked Chinese food, particularly duck. So we had many trips to get roast duck. Um, but I think that they genuinely got on well without language with the Chinese workers in the factory, you know, because it was this direct labour of making art. And... Um, and I think that, that that's kind of transcended the need to have either Mandarin or um, Pichinjara. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was really interesting to just watch and see those relationships develop. And people form close relationships with, um, with artists there that were physically very uh, close. I have some lovely photos of... Um, a young Chinese um, translator and assistant who worked with us that first time showing photos of family. Um, that was Ding Ding. Was Ding, Ding. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and he's marvellous. Mm. But um, the artists were showing photos on their um, iPads mm. 
uh, of their family mm. and they're leaning in and actually touching each other, leaning against each other in a way that is, and, and a cross-gender touching, you know, mm -hmm. it was a male-female touching, which is most unusual. Mm -hmm. And that was the degree of relaxation. It was really fascinating to watch. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that was interesting was that um, as the work was being carved, because it's all very dry porcelain, there was dust falling on the floor. Um, and Frequently, um, I mean, Jim Bernal Williams was one of the artists, and she kept just leaning down in between carving the pot and drawing with her finger in the dust, which of course is drawing in the sand, mm. which is how that their art practice came. So it it seemed very, very much at home rather than exotic, mm. and yet terribly exotic at the same time. Mm. Um, and the the artwork was very well received. Oh, really yeah. well received. Is there, are there any more plans for them <coughs> to come back to work in Jindajan? I've been asked if I'll facilitate them. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yes. Yeah, I think it would be good. And there's a new generation of um, younger artists, um, and they are in their late 20s and early 30s, and it would be very nice to um, take them. I think that they would get a lot from it. Yeah. Thanks for stepping in there, Janet. I'm sure there are many others who could. But I just wonder in the time whether we could think about the comparison with metal, going from clay to metal, and think about in terms of uh, Vicky and uh, Iwe. Uh, in Australia, we have quite a strong jewellery tradition in terms of art, which is a lot to do with being a country that has great mineral wealth, but uh, is part of the process of understanding our relationship to the land and to our country and how we represent that. And this has been influenced a lot by European modernism. And from your perspective, Iwe, but also your experience, Vicky, we have uh, Radiant Pavilion here is our Jewelry Festival and there's Triple Parade in, in Shanghai. What can you tell us about the way which Jewelry as an art form is developing in China? What are the kinds of stories that are being told through Jewelry uh, that you think are interesting? Is it about the technology of the way it's produced? Uh, is it about Chinese culture, some of the ancient references we might see in paper cut? For instance, what are some of the unique trends emerging within art jewellery? Kevin, I saw a mixture of different things going on. I mean, because a lot of the contemporary jewels are trained internationally, they're bringing a, a lot of the kind of what's going on internationally into China and working through those ideas. But also I met in Beijing after being in Shanghai a Chinese maker who was revisiting the traditions of the embroiderers, um, King Li, and working with metal and industry uh, to cut the metal parts of his work and then hand embroidering and mm -hmm. sewing in mm -hmm. elements that, that sat behind the metal element. Um, you know, so, yeah. For me, it was very mixed. Um, I don't know. 
what how how you way sees the scene developing and the kind of work being made. But I think that yeah, they're very influenced by the international scene, from what I could see. Um, but it's 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 re- relatively new. I mean, I think. Um, it was 1996 that Nanjing University and a couple of other universities, you know, brought in metal courses, and then, you know, that's not very long ago, and so the tradition is building slowly, and I think a lot of skills have been lost, and just seeing some of the condition of some of the workshops was, for someone trained by Swiss jeweler, <laughs> it was really tough to see this equipment, um, but, you know, I think that it is changing. There is a lot of training of jewellery designs to go out into the commercial industry and make work. Not so many people making their own work. So, yeah, I think it's it's new and, and quite exciting, actually, in a way. So, anyway, do you see any particular trends emerging in the art jewellery that you're part of in China? Uh, I think for technicians, Skills, which is uh, answers much better than me. I can <laughs> I can talk a little bit uh, uh, Chinese tradition habit, and um, uh, I think uh, we have a collector uh, jewelry, a uh, collector um, some art artworks to using. We have basic history to collect things uh, like. Uh, until um, I think until Cultural Revolution, uh, before uh, you, you, yeah yeah you know China is a long a long rich history, so uh, we collect the uh, calligraphy and the painting for uh, decoration home. Then we drink tea, so we collect a uh, teapot. Then we collect a uh, master master teapot makers teapot. So then we collect like uh, we play um, music. So we we collect uh, the instrument, and um, also like we collect uh, like uh, some like uh, wax, also uh, lacquerware things. So we have the tradition <coughs> to uh, collect uh, beautiful things to using. Uh, also we have like. Uh, a very good tasting to like a um, very elegant lifestyle. So, so I think people like collect things. But uh, uh, I think contemporary jewelry for uh, Chinese at the moment have a little bit. Um, it's uh, it's I think it's uh, uh, something is not uh, in their normal life because. Uh, uh, in this trip, uh, you talk about uh, triple parade. This is a contemporary jewelry big exhibition. I think a lot of uh, people attend this. Also, they invited uh, contemporary arts to cooperation, collaboration, create, um, uh, <coughs> creative uh, new art piece, new uh, jewelry piece, uh, in uh, display there. So. Uh, uh, even curator after uh, after exhibition, I met the curator again. She said, "I think after this exhibition, I think a lot of uh, 
and his lots of contemporary artists, they will start to wear uh, contemporary jewelry. Uh, but uh, no. <laughs> so I think we still need uh, to more understanding the local people, what they think, what they like. And uh, why uh, why contemporary jewelry is not so popular at the moment? I think a must at the moment uh, one is because education. Mm -hmm. I think we don't have uh, too many education for contemporary jewelry. Also, Chinese people um, like uh, uh, we are not very like. Uh, yeah, per uh, yeah, personalities. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, I think people don't want to be very special, <laughs> very unique to other yeah. people. They want uh, I'm good but uh, similar. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. or I I am part of the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So that's why they can, uh, like, uh, if we collect uh, like jewelry, mm -hmm. I want to collect uh, this jewelry, uh, uh, normal jewelry, but uh, have some other feel. Mm -hmm. It's not uh, totally different, uh, like plastic uh, material or something. I think it's, uh, for most of people, it's difficult to accept. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, if it gives you some heart, uh, I think in Melbourne there wasn't necessarily a strong contemporary jewellery scene, but it was the vision of people like Mari Fanaki, Fanaki Gallery, that built uh, an appreciation of that person to person, building it up, particularly through the creative industries. And I think what we learned partly from the speakers this afternoon is that art practice in, in China isn't the same kind of studio experience here, which is very much solo, isolated, but I've learned a lot about branding, for instance, the business of being an artist. And Vicky, you reflected on the other processes and the way Robin works uh, in terms of assistance, that it's a collegiate, collective process. And our view of jewellery as being something unique, an original thing. But maybe also there is a jewellery that connects people that is, when I mean, there are many pins, for instance, that speak to a common identity, maybe there are, are ways of contemporary jewellery relating to that cultural difference, which is a, a very profound difference, and uh, one that we can only really touch on this afternoon. Now, to, um, just to, to wrap this up before we go into the next very important <coughs> session, uh, in terms of the, the strategy with World Craft Council Australia and uh, Garland Magazine, We've been working with the China Arts and Crafts Association, which works with many three, tier three Chinese cities who are seeking to establish important profiles internationally and often start events uh, and are seeking artists to participate and can often generously support artists. So we're keen to ensure that those opportunities are availed within Australia. And uh, we have with Garland magazine a database called Orbit, which is of international opportunities and events coming up like uh, Shanghai, the Triple Parade, and, and so on. And thanks to uh, Sand W and the generous uh, assistance, we've established the Weibo account that uh, and I'd like to acknowledge 
the wonderful work of uh, Yin Wang, who's helped uh, keep that Weibo account alive and build up followers in China. So there's a way in which we can also do that and through the Garland social media certainly to disseminate some of the stories that are available on WeChat and Weibo that we don't normally understand. And I must say I've been completely amazed at some of the stories of, in terms of craft, significant exhibitions and projects in, in China that we've only touched the surface of in our China issue. Uh, so uh, please uh, look to Garland and the World Craft Council of Australia to follow up these in terms of a space to engage, but also uh, feel free to, to hang around and join us for a drink afterwards and speak to five, six people who have very generously given us their time this afternoon and, and shared with us that experience. So please thank the speakers. <laughs>